It's a joke. Well, happy Resurrection Sunday, everybody. Welcome to Hilltop Church. You know, it's always interesting to try to navigate the many things that you try to fit in um, between the music and the kids and everything you want to give attention to at all. And sometimes we feel a little rushed, don't we? But um, I appreciate your patience. Um, And uh, I get to bring the word. My name is Daryl Temple, if you don't know. I, yeah, thank you. Got got a couple friends here, just a couple. Um, Hopefully they're still my friends at the end of this message. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I like to laugh. It, 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 um, it helps me. And, um, you know, it, it helps me get along, you know, in preaching. And so I may crack a couple jokes. If you're not used to that, I'm sorry. Um, but church, it's okay to smile. You know, we should be some of the most happy people on the face of the earth. I, I often say that, um, you know, the story and what we have opposed to others, um, well, there's reason to rejoice today, isn't there? All right. Well, I got to be honest with you guys, um, because we are still going to have a time of uh, fellowship after the service. There'll be light refreshments in the back where we'll be able to shake each other's hands and get to know each other a little bit more. Um, I'm going to try to not be too long-winded, as I know some of us in church cultural and culture in general, we can only really take about 30 minutes tops of speaking. So I'm going to try to try to fit within those lines. But I got to be kind of honest here this morning. Uh, my message today is a bit unorthodox. You know, it's it's not going to be your typical Resurrection Sunday message. So bear with me. I thought long and hard today. Uh, well, actually, months prior to. There seems to be like two times of the year where pastors just feel the crunch. You know, they feel the pressure and the weight. And that's Christmas. <laughs> Come on, somebody. I mean, you know, it's, I... I just relate with me. Act like you feel it, you know. Act like you're, amen, brother. And the other is Easter, you know. The other is just Easter. And uh, you always just kind of stew and kind of go over in your mind and in prayer, what should I talk about? What should I speak about? And, man, I wrestled long and hard. Got to be honest, there's a couple throwaway drafts. You know, I think um, two weeks ago, I had my message, my sermon almost done. And I literally had to do away with it and head down another route. So this is the path of which I'm choosing to walk down this morning. I hope that it, uh, I hope that it encourages you. I hope that it strengthens you. I hope that it challenges you in your walk with the Lord. And, uh, you know, I can't say that the pressure that's there has been because of other people. It's just, it's just me as a pastor. I know that there's so many people here today that are here maybe for the first time in a long time. You've come to church because this just seems right, you know, Easter, uh, the day the Lord is risen, let's go to church. You know, but even if we look at across America and the world, we'll see churches packed. I actually was on Facebook this morning, and there was this picture that a pastor posted, a friend of mine. He said, church on any, on any other Sunday except for Easter. It was like, there was like five people there, and then there was a picture below it that said, church on Easter, and the place was just packed with people. Uh, and that's pretty, that's pretty telling, isn't it? You know, we can laugh about it, but it's pretty telling. Uh, and, and when I got thinking about this, I, I started to immediately just gravitate towards the Gospels. Where or when crowds gathered around Jesus? You know, Jesus had that problem too. You know, there were certain times in the Gospel where 
people would come in the masses. And, and can I just say, and Jesus acknowledged this when they assembled, that they came for the wrong reasons. But you know the one thing that was so telling about the time when people would gather around Jesus in the thousands, what he spoke about. You know, I started tracking through the Gospels, and I'm like, oh, my Lord, what are you talking about, Jesus? Why would you interject that? You have thousands of people, you know, giving their attention to you, and that's what you decide? That's what you pick to talk about? It's not, uh, it's not very typical that in church, I'm sorry, I'm going to spit. Uh, it's a problem I'm having. I'm trying to contain it. It's, I get excited, and just this stuff falls out, but I'm sorry about that front row. We're kind of close, just acknowledging the elephant in the room. Bless you, sister. Uh, It's okay to laugh in church. But it was pretty remarkable, the things that Jesus decided to talk about when he had the people gather, when the crowds came. And that's what I want to title this sermon this morning, when the crowds came. You know, I think it would be foolish, and seeing how we only have a short amount of time today, I think it would be foolish for me to start talking about the historical Jesus, the Jesus who is based in facts, arguing maybe persuasively with your minds, as this is a one-sided conversation. I'm doing most of the arguing. You can laugh there. That's pretty funny. Um, But anyways, we could go over the historical Jesus. We can discuss and argue and point to the realness, if you would, of Jesus or his divinity. But I don't think I have enough time for that. I was actually listening to some uh, Robbie Zacharias. Who, who knows who Robbie Zacharias is? He's a brilliant man. Uh, thank God we have people like that in the church. I love the, uh, the, one, of the, one of his off uh, or ministries that he does is Let My People Think. We could used to do a lot of thinking in the church, I think. But uh, he did this long dissertation, I think that would be the proper explanation, on the factual Jesus, the historical Jesus based in facts. And I, I just don't think we have time for that. And so... Uh, I want to start by doing this, so I want to lay the foundation of today's sermon in Revelations 3.20. You can turn there if you have a Bible, Revelations 3.20. It's the last book in the Bible, page uh, 1,876, if you're reading the uh, New Living Translation, I I think. But Revelations, if I can get there, 3.20. Is everybody all right? All right. Allegra's good. I mean, Shalita's good. <laughs> 320. Jesus says this through his, one of his disciples, John. He says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice, open the door, that I w- and I will come in, and I will share a meal together with you and as friends. You know, regardless of what you think of Jesus today, The truth is, if you're aware of it or not, Jesus stands at the door of every heart here today, professing Christians and unprofessing Christians, knocking at the door of your heart, asking to come in, that he might take up what? Residence inside of you. How many want to be a friend of Jesus? That's a pretty cool friend to have. I mean, we work at having friends. Listen, if you're going to work at having any friend, the most important friend, that would be Jesus. But the truth of the matter is, if you've come because your mom has drug you out of bed, if you've come because a friend's been bothering you for like two months, get to church, hey, it's Easter, what do you think, now's the time. Listen, regardless of where you stand with God, where you stand with Jesus, the truth of the matter, if you believe the word of God, he stands at your heart's door today, right now, this very moment, knocking, asking to come in. And so regardless of what we talk about today, 
I want this to be the foundation, okay? This is so applicable to the saved and the unsaved, isn't it? Jesus standing at the door asking to come in that we might dine with him and be his friends. So that's the foundation I want to build upon. You know, I know that for some of us here today, you know, this whole Jesus thing, this whole message of the cross might seem just a little bit foolish. But you know what? I'm prepared for that. Why? Because the Bible talks about it. So if you would turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Is it okay to get in the word of God today? 1 Corinthians. It's Easter, somebody. One, that's, uh, uh, that's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If I can get there on my iPad. I'm 1 Corinthians 1, 18. We're going to read a couple of scripture verses here. Paul says this when he's talking about the wisdom of God. He says, the message of the cross is what? It's foolishness. It's foolish to those who are heading for destruction. But we who are being saved, come on, if you're that we, if you're a part of that number, just rejoice in your heart. Give yourself a little amen. Give yourself a little praise to the Lord. Come on. Come on, somebody. But we who are being saved know it's the very powerful of power, excuse me, of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and disregard the intelligence of the intellect. So where does this leave philosophers and scholars and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world, what? Look foolish. (laughs) Since God, in his wisdom, saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, He has used our foolish preaching to save those, I'm sorry, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. It is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ has or was crucified, the Jews has offered and the Gentiles say this is nonsense. Sorry, let me back up. The Jews are what? Offended And the Gentiles say, this is nonsense. Listen, today in your intellect, today in your mind, there might be some of you, given the fact that mom woke you up and dragged you to church, or your best friend was hounding you uh, to come to church, regardless of where you stand, viewing God's salvation as foolishness or not, it's power to us who are being saved. Matter of fact, Paul goes to say, I believe, in Romans that all of our faith, maybe no, it's Corinthians, excuse me, uh, that all of our faith hinges, our religion hinges on this simple truth. The simple truth that God was what? Resurrected Jesus. And that if this didn't happen, then what? We're to be pitied among all men. It's a sham. And so I'm well aware that today as we talk, many of you might find me funny and foolish But I'd ask you to just put that aside for a little bit as we get into the word of God. And we look to how Jesus handled the crowds that gathered. Again, I talked about this, the pressure felt today, and it's mainly because I know that there is many needs here today. I know that there are many people who are suffering. There are many people who don't want the God thing, you know. And, and that has weighed on me, in both in prayer and then just in study. Um, 
you know, that pressure is placed on myself. As I mentioned, it's not placed there because of others. I'm literally not concerned about what you or others think about me. I, I, I am, uh, what I'm trying to say is I'm confident in following God as he leads. I'm not the type of pastor that just is going to give a nice little PC message on Easter Sunday so that everybody feels good and we can walk out the same hopeless sinners as we came in as. And so... This comes to this right here. When the crowds came around Jesus, let's turn to Luke chapter 8, verse 4. Luke chapter 8. Starting in verse 4. It says this, One day Jesus told a story in the form of a parable. Now, let's just stop there. If there was any disservice that Jesus could have done here with this large group that had assembled was spoke or speak in a parable. Because for the most part, parables are when Jesus spoke like this went right over the heads of many listeners. You can see later on in the same chapter that the disciples themselves were even confused, but went to Jesus and asked for clarity. Why? Why would Jesus do that? Well, I hope to get there in the message. So Jesus, his popularity is spreading. He's what I call a Hebrew rock star that people from other towns, it's okay, it's all right, it's the 21st century, um, Other people from other towns are coming to hear Jesus speak. And they're gathering thousands upon thousands. Can I say, does this not remind us a little bit of Easter? Okay. All of a sudden, you haven't gone to church all year. How go Easter? go. That's an important day. Can I just say this? Easter should be every day for those who believe. Brian Johnson said this this morning. I might butcher it a little bit, but you can look on Facebook. He tweeted, he said, um, he wrote the song Forever. Uh, Forever he is glorified. A popular song with Carrie Job. And, um, He wrote the lyrics out on his Twitter, and he's like, you know what? I like that today is Easter, but I prefer to celebrate Easter every Sunday. And we got some concept, some kind of, I don't even know really how to explain it, that Easter is just, you know, one time of year, one time of the year. No, guys, for us who believe, it's every day of the week, and we come together to celebrate what Jesus did on the cross. Now, I'm not trying to, uh, to do away with tradition. I love Easter. Matter of fact, I'm going to celebrate to the hilt, okay? But, but I'm not bound to tradition. And, you know, can I just say this, that Jesus is no longer on a cross. He's no longer in a grave. And he has already risen. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God right now, fully glorified. 
I want to see Jesus for who he really is. And, and, and if we start to break Jesus or reduce him and boil him down in some kind of tradition, I'll go to church just once a year. We miss it. We totally miss it. Jesus should, should be celebrated in our lives at all times. And the overflow of that celebration kind of culminates right here in the setting every Sunday. It's amazing to me that you have to prime so many pumps in the church today to get people to raise their hands and open their voices and praise God and sing and worship. It's amazing to me the things that we have to prod and do. And, and, but you know what? I often just, when I'm in that place of feeling like I needed to be prodded, I just remind myself of the cross. I remind myself of the grave. I remind myself of the resurrection. And you know what? That just boils. It, it, it kind of begins to drum and well up inside of me. Uh, ecstatic presence. I don't need the gimmicks. I don't need the nice music. I just need to be reminded of the story of Jesus. Oh, it's enough. Is it enough for you today? We said this last Sunday. Is the good news still good news or is it old news to you? Let's get back to the word. So a large crowd gathered around Jesus and he spoke to them in a parable. And this is what Jesus decides to talk to this large crowd about. A farmer went out to plant his seed. And as they scattered it across the field, some seed fell on the footpath where it was stepped on, and the birds of the air ate it. Other seed fell among the rocks, and it began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. Still, other seeds fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. When he said this, he called out, anyone with ears should listen and understand. What if today I got up, Easter Sunday, crowds are here, and I talk about a farmer. And I go through this kind of analogy of where not to plant seeds and I say, listen, it's useless if it goes on the pathway. Uh, it's useless if there's weeds, and it's just going to choke it out anyway, so why do that? And, uh, you know, but there's some soil that's just good ground, and, and when it, the seed is planted, it's going gonna, it's gonna to bear a lot of fruit. Anyone who has ears, let them understand. <laughs> Goodbye. Drop mic. You know, that's exactly what Jesus did. Large crowd, Easter Sunday, if you would. Jesus talks about a farmer. And at the end, he doesn't break it down theologically. He doesn't go to the Old Testament to, to paint the picture of what he's talking about. He just simply says, anyone with ears, let them hear and understand. See you later. And we know that he did that. Why? Well, let's read the next verse. His disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? And can I just say, that does not mean right then and there they asked him. Jesus walked away. They went to him. They came after him. Which ultimately set them apart from the crowds. This kind of hunger to say, Jesus, 
what do you mean? We, when you talk about that dirt thing, what are you talking about? Like, explain to us. Jesus models right there in these short verses of what it means to come after him. See, we give a gospel, we give a presentation that it takes nothing of sacrifice. Oh, you came to church today. Great. Oh, you paid your, t- paid your tithes today. You listened to the message. Now we go on and go out. No, Jesus puts something of sacrifice in there. And he says, listen, I'm going to give this parable. You're not going to understand it. It's done intentionally. That's why Jesus spoke in a parable. Because he's asking for people to come after him. You want to know? Come after me. Come after me. I, essentially, Jesus says, I'm not going to waste my time. And and cast seed, throw seed on a path where birds will come. I'm not going to water that seed. I'm not going to waste my time there. I'm not going to waste my time casting seed in weedy areas, which just speaks of the the kind of, uh, uh, you know, the... The ways that we share this, we, we live one foot in, one foot out, and we have all our materialism, we have all our other things that we want, and all those weeds just grow. I'm not going to waste my time. Jesus doesn't play any kind of, hey, you can have this, this, and this. No, he says, listen, it's me or nothing. I'm not going to waste my time and cast that seed uh, where there's weeds. Why, why would I? What I give myself to doing that, it's a waste. And some of us are just like those things, right? Because that's the analogy that we get here in this text. Is that our lives, that our hearts are like these things that Jesus t- is talking about. But Jesus at the end, he says, listen, there, are, there is some seed that will be thrown and it will fall on good soil. And I like to think of the disciples right at that moment, that good, that good soil that Jesus was talking about. Oh, Rabbi, what do you mean? Jesus, what do you mean? We want to know. We want to know. Explain this parable. And you know what Jesus does? He explains this in 11 through 15. Let's read in Luke chapter 4. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. And the seeds that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. 13, the seeds on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message, receive it with joy, but since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptations. The seed or the seeds that fell among thorns represents those who hear the message, But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. And the seeds that fell on good soil represents honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produces a huge harvest. turn to a another scripture if we could I want to go to Luke 14 just a couple chapters later 
Is everybody all right? We're now 15 minutes into the sermon. Let's look at another time. We're crowds. Came around Jesus. Luke 14, 25. It says a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and he said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by in comparison. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. These are the words of Jesus. These are the words of God. Let's read that again. A large crowd was following Jesus. And this is what Jesus says. It's not PC. It's not like, how can I retain, you know, as a pastor thinks, how can I retain some of this growth and get people to come back? I want to be nice. I want to water it down. Let's talk about the historical Jesus. But look over what it means to follow Jesus. And this is what Jesus, the one that hopefully we all profess to follow, the one that in that profession we say, you are the Lord and master of our life. He says this, if you want to be mine, if you want to be my disciple, a follower of me, you must hate everything else in comparison. Now that is a strong word, especially in today's culture. But what is Jesus saying? You know, I, I, listen, I, I, don't know, I don't even know what it's like sometimes within my own heart to love God more than I love my son. Like, how do I do that, God? I love this person so much. How do I put you? Jesus is not saying, listen, he's not saying hate them, like angrily hate them. He's saying, I will share the stage with no one in your heart. You understand, in culture, in Jewish culture, family was so important, so idolized. My family, my sons, my daughters, ah, my legacy. Jesus comes. If you want to follow me, everything else has to come second. Now, we can shake our heads. We can nod and say, amen, brother. But in our hearts, do we live there? In our hearts, is that a reality? He says, you must hate everyone by comparison. Your father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. If that does not speak into culture today. Self-absorbed. Selfies. Everything is about us. We love ourselves. And Jesus says, no. And then he goes on to say, and if you don't carry your own cross, come on, do we like this, this Easter weekend? Do we look at it as just a way to celebrate Jesus' victory? Or do we see it as a way to be reminded that we've got to take this cross, that we share in Christ's sufferings, and he says, take your cross and follow me. Does that sound easy? Doesn't, does it? 
Is this a good Easter message? Man, I hope so. And if you don't carry your cross, thousands of people are around Jesus right now. This could be his biggest moment to add to the kingdom of God, to save souls and, and write people into the Lamb book of life, the Lamb's book of life. And he says things like these. He's not looking to win a popularity contest. He is not adhering to some kind of ministry, church growth strategy. What can we do on Easter to really get him here? Listen, we might as well just lay our cards on the table today as a church. Because yeah. this pastor don't play that. <laughs> I'm not into church growth. I love and I want the church to grow. Hear me. But I'm not going to do it forsaking the truth of what this time really means. Yeah, Jesus died. He was buried. He was rose again. And now he welcomes you to share in the same experience by saying, pick up your cross and follow me. Yeah. If you want to be my disciple, you think it's easy? <laughs> well, well, let this season, let this, if you're a one time a year type of Christian, let this season remind you of what it means to follow Jesus. And he goes on. Jesus is so kind. He's so kind, loving. And he goes, don't. Don't be begin until you count the cost. Think about it. Oh, man. How we have so steered from the truth of God's word in the church today. He says, count the costs. And he goes on, for who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there was enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might not complete only, you might complete, excuse me, only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. <laughs> Jesus got a sense of humor. <laughs> they would say, there's a person who started that building and could not afford to finish it. Consider, friend, no matter what stage or at what walk of life, what experiences you're handled, saved, unsaved, whatever it might be today, let's not make anything in haste. Maybe for some of you, you made that decision in haste. And you don't know. Something wears at your conscience. You don't know if you're saved. You think you're saved. Your friends say you look saved. You say the right things. You can say, look, smell. You do all the right things. And you know what? Well, I'll let you fill in that blank. Count the cost. Pick up your cross. and Follow me. Jesus talks like this in front of thousands, not just thousands within the city that he was speaking, but other cities were starting to emerge and starting to come in to context. And Jesus says, startling, eye-opening, heart-wrenching, convicting words like this. 
what is it about the truth that we have a hard time with? The Bible says that the truth, what? It sets us free, right? But there's something in us that just gnaws and the truth. There's something in it that says, I want the truth, but I don't know if I can handle the truth, right? Jack Nicholson, anybody here? We want the truth. You can't handle the truth. But that is pretty true, isn't it? It's pretty true of us sometimes. We want Jesus kind of packaged the right way. We want Jesus presented and talked about the right way. But if you read the words of Christ, do you think that he was worried about what he looked like or what people thought about him? I don't think. He had a short time, and he was looking to lay out the truth. But what is it about truth that gets us so angry? We're in one sense we, we want it. In another sense, when it comes doesn't necessarily find a place in us. But, uh, you know, speaking about the truth, you know, there was 20s. There was a time I wanted to get married, early, early 20s. I found my love. Luckily, God brought us together. We got married. It was a long time. I won't even get into the details. You guys would laugh at me. Um, but, man, I was in my early 20s, and I found my wife, Bethany. We got introduced, and I just fell head over heels, and I wanted her I was like, I want that now. And, you know, good men with character came to me and said, okay, that's awesome, Daryl. We're so glad that you're in love. But, hey, what does your bank account look like? Well, you know, um, yeah, uh, I don't have one. No, um, you know, know, some of these practical things. But I remember just being like, oh, come on. I just want to get married. I just want to marry this girl. It's kind of like the person who wants to sing has been told all their life they can, you know, by their mom and their dad, and you know, or the, the guy who plays sports like, I don't know, hockey, and he can't barely stay up in his skates, but his dad's over the corner. You get it, son. You're the best. And then finally he gets into context with actually people who can, or, or, or the girl gets into context with actually people who can sing, and, and they're just like, oh, my God. Francis Chan, he, he said that there was one time that he thought he could sing, and it wasn't until he married his wife when she kindly said, no, you can't. And it was wicked funny because they went into the studio one time. I don't know at what stage. I think Francis Chan singing at all would have been quite, quite humorous. But, um, <laughs> but uh, she, they got into a studio one time, and I guess he was hitting like all the right notes, like it wasn't like pitch that was a problem. And, and he went to his wife, he's like, do you see this? Like I'm singing here, do you hear this? And she's like, no, Francis, you, you got to understand that even though your pitch is okay, your voice is still horrible. And he's like, ah, come on. But is, you know, the, the truth is like that, isn't it? It's like you've been told all your life, mom and dad are like, yes, you are the best. I actually asked my wife, and she was so funny because she was the one who reminded me of uh, when I wanted to marry her about just some of the conflict that I had and some of the people that were with great intentions just coming to me and saying, you are not ready for marriage, son. You're a boy. You need to grow up. Oh, and I didn't want to hear that. But it was, she was actually, I was like, honey, when was there like a time in my life where, where I couldn't like receive the truth? Have there ever been a time like, you know, was there a time like when I was singing like earlier in the day that I couldn't, I thought I could? You know, what is it? What is it? She's like, 
I can't think of any honey. And then all of a sudden, like a light bulb went off. Bing! Oh, yeah, Daryl. There, there, there was that time when you, we wanted to get married. You wanted to marry me when you were like 19. And then and you, just, you were not ready. And the truth is kind of like that. I mean, you can pity me, but I uh, pity me. You can feel sorry for me, but I am so grateful that well-meaning men got into my life and said, you're not ready, son. You need to grow up. I'm so, I wasn't grateful at the time. But I, looking back, I would not replace it for anything. You know, the truth, another good story. I used to drink these energy drinks, rock stars. And I was down, I mean, it's no pun intended. Like, it wasn't like I thought I was a rock star. I just really enjoyed the taste. You know, I consider myself a bit of a rock star. I don't need your affirmation. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. It's all right. It's church. But I was drinking these drinks, and... And I was like down like three a day. I was like twitching during the day. I was like, oh, 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 oh. you know, like Will's like, what's wrong with you? I don't know. Three rock stars. <laughs> and we met Anna and Fabiano. And lovingly, Fabiano pulled me aside and said, listen, dude, if you continue to drink those things, they are going to send you to the grave early. You're going to die. <laughs> but you know what? The funny thing about it, I knew that. I read things. I heard stories of Monster and the Rockstar drinks. I saw a, a video on YouTube of somebody's muscle like twitching. He was on a hospital bed. It was, he had like an overdose on Monster drinks. I knew it. But you know what? We often know the truth. We often are well-versed with the truth. You know, I was like, you know, like, like thankfully Fabiano drug me aside. But like, if I could have just stayed stupid to the fact and ignorant and kind of whatever, I just like to drink, then I'd probably be still doing it. But somebody came to me and said, son, this is going to kill you. And it was the truth. How are we doing on time? You know, the bottom line is, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great value. <laughs> and, and when somebody actually finds it, they give everything. There is, there is nothing that stands in their way of having that pearl. And, and my question, I guess, because I don't want to, labor the issue, and surely there's other things to get to, and I certainly want to fellowship and have fun with everybody today, but have you found the pearl? Some of, a, some of you, I have no doubt that you have, but, but, but have you counted the cost in giving anything and everything for that pearl, for Jesus, and then for you who maybe uh, have maybe no interest in God. Jesus, you were drugged here because mom and dad said, hey, today's Easter. <laughs> I want to think about going to church. Listen. I once was one of those guys who sneered and mocked. I found 
the gospel rather foolish. A wife's tale. And I, I went far to the other side of life where all sorts of behavior and things were going on that were not good. But listen, I stand here confidently saying that I found the pearl and there was nothing that was going to stand in the way of me obtaining it and having it. And friend, there is no greater news, there is no greater gift today than the gift of Jesus Christ, eternal life. There is no greater gift that you will ever receive today. Money does not hold its weight when it comes to the greatness, the gift of God through His Son, Jesus. It's my intention to, through this, not try to drum up some kind of hyper emotional response, but to ask a question for those who maybe don't believe here today. those who are praying people, I'd ask you to pray for me right now. I'd ask you to pray for this room right now. I want to offer the gift of life in this place here today. I I believe that everyone here under the sound of my voice, one way or another, has felt that knock. I, I believe, I, I, I really do, I am sold that everyone under the sound of my voice today has felt that gnawing knock at the door of their hearts, saying, let me in. Come on, maybe one time, maybe your parents were religious people. Maybe at one time you were a religious person. You were a person that believed. But through the years, you You left the faith for whatever reason. Can I just say it's time to come back? It's time to come back. And maybe for you who have sneered and mocked the message of the cross, I would encourage you to open your heart anew and afresh to the story of Christ and the good news. And that today you would count the cost You would count the cost and join with the thousands who are choosing eternal life. Listen, the simple fact of where you're going to spend eternity, I believe for some of you, has been a bit or a cause for worry. Where am I going to be after I die? What's going to happen? Where... Am I going to spend my life in darkness? 
I'd encourage you to get the security of eternal life today. The security of being with Jesus, not eternally separated, but in heaven with him always. I'm going to, as people are praying, I'm going to open up this time. Will, if you could come and, and play a little piano. And I want to invite those who have felt the tug of God's pull on their hearts up to this altar right here. I want to invite those who maybe for years have watered down or have tried to walk away or shut out that knock. I want to invite you up and I want to invite you to welcome Jesus into your heart today. I'm not going to work hard at this and I really appreciate that this doesn't become a spectator sport. I'm not looking to expose anybody. So if you're here and you're saved, close your eyes and pray. And if you're not, then I'd welcome you into the family of God. So if that's you, get up from your seat now and come here. And I'm only going to take five seconds. Last Sunday, we had a girl respond to the altar call. I literally did it in five seconds, and I am not going to hype this time up. You, I believe, for some of you, you have already felt the tug of God's love on your heart, and you have yet to but respond to it. And I want to ask you, respond to that tug. Maybe there's some here, like there was last Sunday, because of sin. Your confidence has been robbed. Your eternal security has been robbed. I want to I invite you, come make it right today. Jesus conquered death and sin. So if that's you, if you feel like you are being robbed, that there is something that is gnawing at your heart, that is weighing on your heart, you don't know where you would be if you left these doors today and died. You can laugh at that. You can snare. But that happens all the time. You are not promised a minute Anything could happen if you don't, but you want that eternal security. Come and respond to this altar.